Pod, the astronomy podcast for people who are overwhelmed by the universe but want to be its friend. Oh, hey, that's us. That's me. Hi, I am Dr. Moya McTeer. I'm an astrophysicist, a folklorist, and friend to the universe. Yes, you are. And I am Karin Caputo, writer, fun person to be around, friend of the universe. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> and yeah, I'm I'm thrilled with uh, where we are today. I'm this is one of my favorite places in the world. <laughs> is it really, Karin? Well, okay. We are in the Mall of America, and the reason we aren't is because today we're talking about a huge planet, mm-hmm. and Mall of America is one of the largest malls, or if not the largest mall. I would hope it's the largest mall. It should be, basically. At on least in name. America. Yeah, yeah, and I I feel like the kinds of malls we have in America don't exist outside of America. Mm-hmm. I have to hope, yeah. I think, because I do feel like it could be a curse on a community, but... I love malls so much. There's something so fun about them. We There was the mall on the Staten Island Mall, which is where I spent a lot of Friday nights Good. as a middle school, high schooler. So there's something very cozy about walking in and out of all the shops. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited for an Auntie Anne's pretzel. Yes. After we finish this recording, yes. I'm going to get me an Orange Julius and an mm-hmm. Auntie Anne's cinnamon pretzel. And this is the trick. This is the trick, Corinne. Mm-hmm. I get a salted pretzel. But I take the salt off. Yep. Because it has the essence of the salt without being too salty. That... I've done that. I've done... It's also, to me, very satisfying to rub the salt off of a pretzel. Like, there's something really fun about it, especially an Auntie Anne's pretzel, which is like the soft pretzel and the hard salt. What What part of yourself are you rubbing with the pretzel, Corinne? Oh, my fingers are oh, okay. wiping off the salt. <laughs> okay. Yes, that is a good feeling. I'm doing something absolutely insane in a public mall. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to do something like that, a public mall is probably not the worst place to do it. There are all types of weirdos. Oh, uh, there really are. Yeah. I have wanted to be, not that these people are weirdos, but I have wanted to be the person who like walks around a mall in the mornings to like get their steps in. <laughs> Just speed walking Just through a mall. any excuse to spend time in the mall. Great. I love that for you. You're just a, a modern day Robin Sparkles. I tried to. Yes, exactly. I tried to work in the mall when I was a teenager and I did not get the job. Mm, their loss. Yeah, really. It was a Build-A-Bear. I was like, I can do this and I can do this oh, well. You can. You 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 could then. You, you still, still can, can now. now. I might go back. Mm-hmm. Next episode coming to you from, <laughs> from Build-A-Bear. Build-A-Bear. <laughs> and I'm like talking to you between helping kids. Right. <laughs> It takes us a long time to record episodes. It's fine. <laughs> but yes, while we're here in in what we hope is America's largest mall, we are going to be talking about what is definitely our solar system's largest planet, which is Jupiter. Yay, Jupiter. Yay for Jupiter. Um, what are your thoughts on Jupiter, Corinne? How, where does it rank? Wow. Where does I, it sit in your ranking of the planets? It's up there. I think it probably goes Earth, Mars... I don't know about third place, but then probably Jupiter. Okay, fourth fourth out of out of nine. Nine, yeah. You heard it here. Uh-huh. Fourth out of nine. That's I not bad. Loved, I loved. You know, I think I was m- more interested in like Mars or Saturn when I was mm-hmm. younger because Mars was like nearby and Saturn had the rings. And I know Jupiter. Jupiter has a lot going on too, but I not. I don't know the fun facts about it beyond the Great Red Spot. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's the Great red spot and it's lots of moons but saturn also has lots of moons going for it so they're tied in that way Mm -hmm. yeah um jupiter is not high up on my list i don't actually i guess i've never thought about i've never the spots past one yeah Yeah. 
sounds like we have a future episode on our yes. hands. Um, <laughs> definitive ranking. Yes. Yes. Definitive. Um, but for now, we are going to be talking about Jupiter, which I know is many people's favorite planet mm-hmm. um, because people people like size. Size <laughs> matters. People like When size. it comes to planets. <laughs> people do. People do. And Jupiter's gonna gonna give them lots of size. Yeah. Uh, so today we're going to definitely talk about Jupiter's impressive girth and we're going to talk about the great red spot <laughs> thanks for not even reacting to that i was Corinne. like yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but first i want to start by talking about the the history of our knowledge of jupiter when we did an episode on pluto we got to talk about the discovery of pluto because there was a moment when we found this planet for the first time you can't say that about jupiter but we can mm. we can talk about a lot of stuff in jupiter's past the reason we can't define a single moment when we discover Jupiter is because it's visible. It's one of the visible planets that you can see without mm-hmm. any sort of telescope. It looks like a bright point of light in the sky. It kind of looks like a star. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, some of the oldest records we have of very early human civilizations talk about their observations of the night sky. And they talk about Jupiter as one of the wandering stars. Um, so the word for planet that we have now is coming to us from the Greeks. Planet meant like wandering star. Um, and they got that from the Babylonians who talked about fixed versus moving stars. The fixed stars were the very distant ones. They're so far away that they don't appear to, to move with relation to each other. And then there are the moving or wandering stars. Uh, there are seven of them. It's the, the moon, the sun, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. Was that seven? That was seven. Yep. We can count, friends. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I actually didn't know this until I researched for this episode. I always thought that the Babylonians called those seven objects wandering stars, but they more often would talk about them as roaming sheep. Um, there were a lot of uh, there was a lot of sheep imagery in their astronomy uh, folklore. Aww. Modern astronomers call it Jupiter. That is the name that the International Astronomical Union has given it. And we got that because Rome spread all their influence over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were we just like are living with that influence today. But the Romans bit that name from the Greeks who called it Zeus. Um, both Jupiter and Zeus are like the kings of the Roman and Greek pantheon, respectively. And uh, the Greeks took it from the Babylonians. Oh, they're just stealing shit from the ancient Babylonians. Um, so the the ancient Babylonians lived between like four, three and five thousand years ago. Uh, they pretty much started astrology as we know it today. They associated the planet Jupiter with their patron god Marduk, and so there is this long history of naming the big planet in the sky after your like the head god in your pantheon, but they didn't call it Marduk. Instead, they called it Nibiru, which was supposedly like the the celestial seat of Marduk. And Marduk originally was like a very local god to the Babylonians, but then eventually became one of the most revered and worshipped gods across all of Mesopotamia. So there's a little myth lesson for you. I love that. Yeah. Um, The Babylonians were extremely accomplished astronomers. There are some people today who don't like calling them scientists because all of the work they did, all of the measurements they took, they were doing because they interpreted the movements in the sky as messages 
from their gods or oh, as okay. lessons from their gods. And so they were trying to predict their gods' wills. And so some people today are like, you can't call that science. But uh, they were still doing the measurements. They were still yeah. doing the calculations. Yeah. Um, they were just doing it in a way that fit into their current worldview, which is exactly what we do today as modern scientists. So right. whatever. Yeah, totally. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> Your Nibiru, you mean? My, my Nibiru. Your seat? I'll get off my celestial seat, yes. Um, so they did really impressive stuff. The Babylonians tracked Jupiter's motion across the sky well enough to predict where it would be ahead of time. They were also able to predict, um, like, eclipses and stuff like that. Um, but I found this paper from 2016 that said the math that the Babylonians used to do that uh, Jupiter orbit calculation, historians thought that that math wasn't invented until the 1400s. Oh. And then they found in, in 2015 or so that the math they were using was more advanced than we originally thought. Mm -hmm. So this information is coming to us from a series of clay tablets that had cuneiform writing on it. And, you know, th these tablets are scattered, and so it's not immediately obvious which ones go together. But uh, there was a... He's actually a PhD astronomer, but he now focuses on uh, the history of astronomy and, and the archaeology of astronomy. His name is Matthew... Austin driver. He's at Humboldt University in Berlin, and he made the connection between a few different clay tablets that showed that the Babylonians were using a type of abstract geometry that we didn't think they were capable of. The geometry is abstract because they they were representing the the orbit of Jupiter and they drew it in a trapezoid. Like they drew a trapezoid to represent this motion, but it wasn't a trapezoid to represent the physical space. Like it, the the axes that they were using or like the dimensions that they were interested in weren't just like space. Mm -hmm. They weren't drawing the orbit of Jupiter. They were tracking the velocity of Jupiter over time and they drew a a trapezoid to represent the velocity change over time, which is abstract. Yeah. Like, it's not them just drawing down a shape that they see in the physical world. It's them taking the idea of the shape and putting it and like using it in a new context. Mm -hmm. So they were more advanced than we thought they were, which of course, of yeah. course they were. Um, this is why we need to stop saying that big concepts like geometry were invented by one person at like one time. Right. People been doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll get off of that Nibiru. <laughs> uh, so that's the history of early humans observing and, and tracking Jupiter across the sky. We were only able to study it in more detail once telescopes were invented in the 1500s, the late 1500s, early 1600s. Uh, there was a man whose uh, name is, is very well known, Galileo Galilei. Famous. Beautiful name. One of the I best. love I love that name. <laughs> um, so Galileo started observing Jupiter in 1609, and he noted in late 1609 and early 1610 that it had four bright points of light orbiting it, and he quickly realized that they were moons. We call them today the Galilean moons, and they are Io, Ganymede, Callisto, and Europa. the The discovery of these moons. Uh, further supported the heliocentric revolution, which was well underway. Mm -hmm. um, but this is like, we can't deny, right. we can't deny heliocentrism when we see these four bodies orbiting Jupiter. Right, of course not. 
that's all I have about the history. Uh, I want to talk about characteristics of Jupiter next, but do you have any any thoughts or comments? Well, I love that. I mean, I just love the naming conventions of the moons and of Jupiter. It's, to me, <laughs> extremely dramatic, and I love it. <laughs> yes. All of the planets in our solar system have naming conventions for their moons. And I love Jupiter's because all of Jupiter's moons are named after either some descendants, but mostly like lovers of Jupiter yeah. and Zeus from mythology. That's really funny. <laughs> and they're following so him. So funny. And they're following him. And then we we literally sent, I'm going to get to this later, but then we literally sent a spacecraft named after Jupiter's wife to go and spy on him and oh, all of his lovers. Fun. That's a sh TV show I want. <laughs> the real the real moon wives moon wives the real yes oh perfect the real moon wives of of the solar system uh so jupiter we now have studied it with with lots of telescopes we have sent telescopes to it we know a lot about it now uh, we know that it orbits five astronomical units or about 500 million miles from the sun um, that means that it takes jupiter a little bit more than 12 years to orbit the sun long that's long yeah i mean it's not i actually always assumed that jupiter's period was longer before i did the math and like yeah it's 12 yeah. years but that just seems short to me for some reason yeah you thought it was even longer i think i'm just too used to long scales in astronomy oh, so whenever totally. i see something that's like 10 i'm like what maybe oh, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's yeah. nothing uh so 12 years but it takes it just about 10 hours to rotate so a day okay. on jupiter is days 10 hours short. it's short jupiter's the days big. are short and the years are long <laughs> exactly um but like for something that big to rotate every 10 hours that means feels that it so is fast. zipping it's really fast is that why it's got um, all the swirls going on it's basically there's a woman yeah. on tiktok who i'll get sometimes who's like has this Tum like water bottle on this rotating device and she like pours paints mm -hmm. on it and it's I don't know why I'm watching this but it's this <laughs> woman who's just like painting water bottles but everything Great. gets swirly mixed on this fast rotation yeah yes um I'm glad you're watching those TikTok videos because that's pretty much exactly what happens I watch in Jupiter. TikTok for science. So <laughs> I don't watch TikTok for science. I watch it for smutty book recommendations. Uh, I'm not on that so, side of TikTok, but I hope to get there. You could do it one day. I believe in you, Corinne. So 10 hours, it's zipping around. Uh, its axial tilt is just about three degrees, whereas Earth's is 23 degrees. So Jupiter doesn't really have seasons in the Way that a more tilted planet would be. It's just sitting upright as it goes around the sun. Uh, it does have a pretty circular orbit. Its eccentricity is 0 0.048, which is a little bit bigger than Earth's, but it's still very small, still almost circular. And when it comes to size, Jupiter is packing. Uh, you could fit <laughs> a thousand Earths inside Jupiter. Wow, that's a lot. That is a lot. Yeah, its uh, its diameter is about 10 times uh, Earth's diameter. So 10 to the third is a thousand. That's how you go from like length to volume mm -hmm. is take it to the third power. So a thousand Earths. But Jupiter is only about 300 times more massive than Earth, which means it's less oh. dense. Okay. And yeah. 
you would expect it to be less dense, right? Because it's mostly made of gas. It's right. a gas giant. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it is it is a gas giant, but most astronomers would agree that it probably still has a solid core. We aren't totally sure. There is a chance that early in the solar system when the planets were forming, there was just a, a big concentration of gas that over time uh, collected enough material to turn into Jupiter. But most astronomers follow the core accretion model of planetary formation, which says a little rock forms, either of rock or ice, but a solid chunk forms and then gas accretes onto that solid chunk. So most people think that Jupiter has a solid core. We're waiting to hear back on that, you know, like we're, we're still doing research, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. But whether it has a core or not, most of Jupiter is hydrogen and helium in different phases based on pressure and temperature as you go to different depths of the planet's atmosphere. So there's the top layer of the atmosphere that some people call the sky, and that has other elements like ammonia and stuff. I'll get to that in a second. But most of it is hydrogen and helium. So right under those top layers, there is a thick layer of liquid hydrogen. The temperature and pressure are high enough to make hydrogen, which is usually a gas, and turn it into its liquid phase, which means Jupiter actually has the biggest ocean in the entire solar system. Well, we'll have to go there next. It's not a water ocean, but yeah, let's, <laughs> let's go to the hydrogen beach. Um. That's the beach that makes you old. That's the, <laughs> that's the beach that makes you old? Yeah, in the, in the movie Old, I'm pretty sure they were on Jupiter for that. Okay, cool. Yeah, so maybe we don't go to the maybe hydrogen beach. Maybe we don't beach. go. Okay, never mind. <laughs> so there is that liquid hydrogen layer, and then underneath that, the density is so high, the density and pressure are so high, that electrons gain enough energy to escape from their atoms. So uh, you have a soup of positively charged hydrogen ions and free-floating negatively charged electrons, and that creates a layer of liquid metallic hydrogen. They take a gas and they turn it into a metallic liquid. Whoa. Whoa, uh, the, the, the pressures in Jupiter's core are so amazing. So like, yeah, we talk about it. I, I said that it is less dense than Earth, but that's only on average. There are definitely parts of it underneath that are, that are more sure. dense. That layer of liquid metallic hydrogen is probably why Jupiter has such a strong magnetic field. It extends out for 2 million miles away from Jupiter, Just far. Um, and the field itself is up to 50 times stronger than Earth's. It wavers a little bit as the, the shape of the field changes. Uh, I mentioned the sky above that hydrogen ocean, uh -huh. and it has three layers of other elements. And that's where a lot of the cool weather is. Uh, so all of those colors, all of those bands, the big red spot, that's mostly in the upper atmosphere. Okay. Uh, the top cloud is likely made mostly of ammonia ice. The middle layer is likely made of ammonium hydrosulfide crystals. And then the innermost layer is a, a bit of water ice and vapor. Sounds cold to me. Very cold, <laughs> very windy. Lots of interesting weather is happening there. And this, this gets at those, those streams, the, the bands that you yes. see. So that fast rotation, you are totally right, Corinne, creates long, strong jet streams that separate different molecules and smear them across the sky in bands. And mm -hmm. so the alternating colors that you see are like the alternating molecules that are coming up through Jupiter's atmosphere. Um, these storms last 
a long time. Uh, the big red spot has been observed for over 300 years and it could it could last another 300 like it's it's there for the long haul the big red spot is a just a giant storm it's pretty much just a hurricane um and it is more than two earths wide yeah. one storm I've one storm wider fact. than two earths i have seen that fact before and i was very disturbed by it <laughs> like that is so much storm mm -hmm. and yet it is just a little fraction exactly. of the planet's surf like exactly. surface area. I think yeah. that's what it is. It puts into scale how big Jupiter is. Mm -hmm. And that is can feel overwhelming. That's fair. Jupiter is very big. Um, you are welcome to feel overwhelmed by that if you want. But in a little bit, I'm going to tell you why it's good for us mm -hmm. that Jupiter is so big. Yes, I'm dying to know. Hey, it's Moya, and welcome to this episode's mid-break. Did you know the Mall of America has a comedy club inside it? Well, it does. And as our resident funny person, Corinne, just went to put her name down for tonight's open mic, so I figured that now would be a pretty good time to give a shout out to our patrons. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast every single month. We could not make this show without you. Or we could, but it would be expensive and we wouldn't like it as much. Thank you, as always, to our sun-like stars, Sharn Llewellyn, Finn, and Peyton. Your solar mass, your gravitational field is helping to hold us down here at the Pale Blue Pod headquarters. I don't know. So thank you so much. And also thanks to our newest pre-main sequence star, Corey Fattrell. Corey, congratulations on collapsing your gas cloud. I'm so proud of you. You too can support us, hear your name on this pod, and make it to our patron star chart, all by supporting us on Patreon for just about $1 per episode. If you do that, you'll get access to research notes for every single episode, plus other perks as you move up in the tiers. You can find our star chart, our Patreon info, and more at our website, palebluepod.com, or just go right to patreon.com slash palebluepod. You know you want to support us anyway, just go ahead and do it. But if you can't support us financially, that is totally fine. We still love you. Another really great way to support our show is to share it with your friends. So pick your favorite episode, send it to someone who you think could learn a little bit more about space. Are you looking for a fun, no-pressure way to learn math and science? Check out Brilliant.org. It's the best way to learn math and science interactively online. Brilliant has thousands of lessons in math, science, logic, data analysis, and they're adding new ones each month. Enjoy fun storytelling, guided problem solving, and making lots of mistakes while you learn and play. On Brilliant, your natural curiosity will drive you, not the threat of a test. Brilliant doesn't just teach you facts and formulas, they actually develop your intuition for these subjects through interactive gameplay. So their science courses can help you get a deeper understanding of things that we talk about a lot here, like electricity and magnetism or special relativity. There is an episode coming about that. There has to be. You can also branch out and try out their classes on geometry or foundational logic. Whatever you learn on Brilliant, you will have a fun time doing it. So go to brilliant.org slash palebluepod to get a 30-day free trial, and the first 200 people to use our code will get 20% off their first annual subscription. Again, that's brilliant.org slash palebluepod for a 30-day free trial, and if you're lucky enough, if you're early enough, 20% off your annual subscription. Just go to the link in this episode's description. 
I want to recommend a podcast for you from the Multitude Collective, and it is called Join the Party. Join the Party is an actual play podcast with tangible worlds, genre-pushing storytelling, and collaborators who make each other laugh each week. They also make their listeners laugh each week. So thank you. The Dungeon Master, Eric, and the emphatic players, Amanda, Brandon, and Julia, welcome everyone to the table, from longtime TTRPG players to folks who've never touched a role-playing game before. So don't feel intimidated if you aren't familiar with Dungeons & Dragons or other RPGs. Their current campaign is a pirate story set in a homegrown world of plant and bug folk. It's so awesome. I got to talk to Eric about the world building he did for this project on my other podcast, Exolore, and I am so happy that they're doing this world. But if that doesn't sound like something you're interested in, they have three other whole seasons that you can check out. You can marathon their completed stories with their camp Pain, a Monster of the Week game set in a weird summer camp, or you can try out Campaign 2 for a modern superhero game or their first campaign for a high fantasy story. So they have something for everyone. And once a month, they release the After Party, where they answer your questions about the show and how the game is actually played. This is how they're bringing everyone to the table, and I love that they're doing this. So what are you waiting for? Pull up a chair and join the party. Search for Join the Party in your favorite podcast app or go to jointhepartypod.com. New episodes come out every Tuesday. We have found nine, at least 92 moons orbiting Jupiter. Oh, wow. So many. I did not know it was that high. It's really high. It's now, um, we found 12 new ones in February of this year, in February of 2023. And that officially bumped it up to having the most moons uh, that we've discovered in any planet of the solar system. Whoa. That's Yay. so many moons. That's a lot I'm of I'm thinking moons. of them like children. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm like, <laughs> I could never keep track of all that. <laughs> well, I mean... It's 92 moons, and when you think about the fact that most of them are named after lovers from mythology of this one character, it's like, he was a hoe. Yeah. Zeus was a straight-up hoe. (laughs) Not even a straight hoe. Like, there there are stories. There are stories of of Zeus with male lovers, which is fantastic. Well, I feel like Um, you're gonna, yeah, you have to be, I think, if you're that, you know, eager to be dating new people. (laughs) There's only so many people. (laughs) Um, uh, also, I think I don't understand why anyone would be just straight or just gay. It's like never made sense to me. I say this all the time. I have like turned to my husband and I'm like, and you're sure that like none of you is a little bit queer. And he's like, right. No. And I'm like, I just can't relate to this. I I just don't understand this. Mm -mm. So like, I don't understand it on human scales. When you get to be like an immortal God, then I think you definitely can't be straight. No, there's no way. If you're around for that long. If you're around forever. Yeah. I feel like you don't have, like, even when it comes to food, you're, you have to, (laughs) you can't have a preference anymore. (laughs) Like when Mm. you, my brain, if I'm mapping my brain onto this, I get so bored. I get so bored so fast. There's no way that I would keep doing the same thing or the same person. (laughs) Facts. I say this as a married person. I say this as a married (laughs) monogamous person, but... But you're also not going to live for thousands of years. That's so so true. I have thought about it and I've decided not to. (laughs) 
Oh, I'm, we're going to talk about Jupiter and, <laughs> and his lovers l later. But um, I did promise to tell you that Jupiter is good for our survival. Uh, so there are many astronomers who say that a Jupiter-like planet, by which I mean a very massive planet orbiting the right distance from its host star, is a necessary neighbor for a habitable planet closer in to the star. Uh, so there are a lot of people who say that Earth wouldn't be a habitable planet without Jupiter's gravitational influence. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the, the reason for that is that Jupiter most likely diverts a lot of comets and asteroids that would otherwise hit Earth, especially early on in the solar system uh, when there was just a lot more stuff flying around. But there is a, a flip side to this, which is that occasionally Jupiter may also send comets to us with its gravity, but that's like not a very common thing, especially at this point in the solar system's history. Um, so we know that Jupiter and its gravity affect our orbit here at Earth. Um, it makes our eccentricity vary slightly over time. So sometimes our orbit is more circular, sometimes it's less, and that's thanks to Jupiter's influence. Um, and there are, there are some studies that imply that the asteroid belt could have been turned into its own planet or maybe even merged with Mars if not for Jupiter's gravity. <gasps> I, I remember hearing conversations by people who model solar system formation or star system formation. And in pretty much all of their models, Mars is supposed to be bigger than it is. Because if you look at the size of the planets, it's increasing. Yeah. Venus is bigger than Mercury. Earth is bigger than Venus. Mars should be bigger than Earth, but it's just about half the size. Right. And if you took all the asteroid belt components and you put them with Mars, it would follow those models. And so some people think that Jupiter prevented that asteroid belt material from, from joining with Mars or making its own planet. That's a cock block. Yes. <laughs> a I, rock block. I paused to be like, should I say this on the pod? <laughs> you, can totally say, you can say whatever the fuck you want, Corinne. You can say whatever the hell I want. Yeah. Do you watch I Think You Should Leave on Netflix? No, but maybe Oh my God, it's my favorite show ever. Oh my god, it's I have to watch it. It's not for everybody. It's not for everyone. Okay. But I quote it all the time. Well, you and I have pretty similar tastes, I know. It's a actually. sketch show starring yeah. Tim Robinson from SNL like fame. And he also was in Detroiters, which is also so funny. Anyway, okay. season three, end of this month. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> um, yeah, Jupiter cock blocking. It's rock blocking the inner solar <laughs> rock system. Rock blocking is perfect. <laughs> um, so thank you, Jupiter, but also sometimes fuck you. you know? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We have sent a lot of missions to go study Jupiter. Um, some of them just passed by Jupiter on their way to other things that they were studying, but we have also sent some specifically to that system. So the first spacecraft, the first telescopes that we sent out into the solar system that ended up studying Jupiter were the Pioneer spacecraft. There was Pioneer 10 and Pioneer 11. They launched in 1972 and 1973. So these, these Pioneer spacecraft uh, made the first flybys of Jupiter and they revealed the first close-up images. They gave us info about Jupiter's magnetic field and they gave us, which is important, images of the poles. Because mm. Jupiter doesn't have much of an axial tilt, it's not easy for us to see its north and south poles. Right. So the Pioneer spacecraft gave us that, that view for the first time. The next one was Galileo, appropriately named. Um, and this one actually did 
go, it was meant to go to Jupiter. So it launched in 1989 and it reached Jupiter in 1995. It was the first spacecraft to orbit Jupiter. Mm -hmm. So it actually like orbited in and out of the Jovian system. And it revealed the structure of Jupiter's magnetic field as it was orbiting. It got to map the magnetic field lines um, and it showed us these intense radiation belts um, around Jupiter, which is pretty cool, and gave us detailed maps of Jupiter's major moons, like the, the Galilean moons. Um, and it did so much. I keep saying and. And it hinted at a possible ocean underneath the surface of Europa, which we are now taking advantage of because we think it might be a good place for life to form elsewhere in the solar system. So thank you, Galileo. Yeah. In 2003, Galileo self-destructed by careening into Jupiter's atmosphere, uh, much like the Cassini spacecraft careened into Saturn to yeah. end its life. Um, and that is because we don't want to leave as much junk out in the outer solar system as we have in our near-Earth orbit. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of junk here. We did a whole episode about it, and we don't want to do that to the rest of the solar system. Yeah, that's nice of us. It's like going to a friend's house and behaving better than you do at your own house. <laughs> that's exactly what yeah. it is. Um, except if when you went to your friend's house, you did like a nosedive down their yeah. basement steps or something. <laughs> so I've been very good and now it's time to jump into the basement. <laughs> jump into the basement so I never do anything bad again. Yep. <laughs> that's Galileo. And then... We launched Juno. I love the Juno, Juno mission. It's it's so messy. It's it's so messy of us to name this spacecraft after Jupiter's wife and then send her to go spy on him and all of his lovers. That is one of the funniest things I've heard. I did not know that was the dynamic, and I really love that. Also, Juno was my favorite movie for like a while. So oh, this such is a good amazing. Movie. <laughs> Uh, Juno launched in 2001 and it reached Jupiter in 2016. So it took its... I remember. It took its time. Uh, it was supposed to last five years, but the mission was extended to 2025 because it's still giving us good data because wow. the wife is going to make sure that she collects all She's those receipts. She's going to be thorough. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she doesn't... She doesn't want to give Jupiter the chance to pull a shaggy and say it wasn't me because she's going. She's watching. She is watching them bang on that bathroom floor. I feel like that's a movie, too, where it's like, you know what? I'm not doing a, a P.I. I'm going to go out there myself and get the real information. I got to see it with my own eyes. That's what Juno said. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Ju Juno. I love that I just made a shaggy reference when talking about the Juno spacecraft. Uh, Juno was meant to study Jupiter's atmosphere and solve the mysteries of its weather. So tell us, finally, what is the Great Red Spot and why are there all these bands across Jupiter? Um, and it did that. It revealed different types of cyclones. It revealed that the storms actually go deeper into Jupiter's atmosphere than we thought it did. Um, it saw different types of lightning happening throughout Jupiter's atmosphere. And, and one of them... One of this, uh, this type of lightning forms in the upper atmosphere of, of Jupiter, where it is too cold for water to form. And that's where our lightning comes from mm -hmm. here on Earth. But instead, that type of lightning on Jupiter happens when ice crystals collide with ammonia molecules. And you get this just like special type of lightning. Whoa. Whoa. Very cool. Uh, so that's, that's Juno. Thank you so much for your uh, ongoing service. Thank you, Juno. Juno. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, the next mission... 
uh, coming up to study Jupiter is the Jupiter Icy Moon Explorer. And astronomers have mangled together an acronym, <laughs> JUICE. From Jupiter Icy Moon and the E in Explorer? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You get nothing from the moons. But JUICE. <laughs> I see it. <laughs> uh, JUICE launched just last month. Uh, the European Space Agency launched JUICE in April of 2023 to study the, the big moons in the Jovian system. So it's studying Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto, which are three of the Galilean moons. I love Callisto as a name. I don't think right? it should be. A, I don't know if it's a person's name, but I love it as a word. It's um, in mythology. It's a person's name. And of I'm course. sure that there are people today named Callisto. Yeah, there must it, be. I feel like it could be a jerk name, like a like a rude person's <laughs> name or like we see a character named Callisto and like, I don't know, the White Lotus or something. But mm. I love it. every time I hear the, the name Callisto, I think of the character from Xena Warrior Princess. Oh, my who... God. I haven't thought of that show in so long. Oh, so good. Um, but she, Callisto is kind of a bitch and is like she's Xena's arch nemesis. Right. In the right. show. So that's what I. So when you said a mean person, I was like, yeah. Yeah, it yeah, is. She is. Um, And then there will eventually be a mission called the Europa Clipper, which will go to the moon Europa and hopefully tell us if there is a a liquid water ocean underneath the icy surface that could potentially have life in it. But that is not going to launch for a while. Fair. Uh, That's how we're studying Jupiter. That's how we expect to learn more about it in the future. And uh, now I would like to uh, do a little bit with the moons, with the Galilean moons, because I want to um, play a game with you, Corinne, mm-hmm. where uh, because I said that all of the, the moons of Jupiter are named after descendants or lovers of the god, I want to tell you the love story or the myth yes. and have you guess the moon. And if you don't get it on the first try, I have um, an extra piece of information. I can give you the moon's superlative. So like, what is its reputation? Okay. As a moon, and and uh, hopefully with the two of those, you'll be able to guess. Okay, let's let's see. Good luck to me. <laughs> Good luck to you. I'm sure you're gonna do great. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. It's like an evil laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not evil because I'm trying to do anything mean to you. It is no. evil because I made this podcast with the express purpose of not talking about all of my folklore obsessions, and, here and we then are. I've here we are. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to find a way to work it into whatever I do. Of course. Right. So here is the first the first moon. Remember that the um the moons, the Galilean moons are in alphabetical order, Callisto, Europa, Ganymede, and Io. Okay. This first love story is uh, about a nymph slash princess who was beloved by Zeus, but they were caught in their affair by Zeus's wife Hera. Hera is the the Greek Mm -hmm. Uh, counterpart to Juno. Zeus quickly turned the woman into a white cow as like as Hera was approaching but Hera called his bluff and demanded that he give her the cow as a gift. (gasps) I love that move. I love that move. Right? Like oh I know what you're doing. Give me your your mistress as a present. (laughs) Oh if it's just a regular cow I'll take it as a gift. Like (laughs) it's a cow. Uh, Cows were uh usually considered sacred especially like white cows were usually considered sacred to, to mm-hmm. Hera and so she was like oh a white cow that's for me give it to me <laughs> she set 
Argos, who was a, a hundred-eyed giant. Um, his his full name is like Argos Panopticon, Argos the All-Seeing. He has a hundred eyes. Too many. He was said to um, like never sleep. Like one of them was always supposed to be open, and she set this giant to watch after her cow. Um, but Zeus then sent Hermes, the messenger god, to kill Argos through some trick, because Hermes was also a trickster. And then in return, Hera cursed the cow to be chased around the globe by a gadfly who was biting its haunches. And so the, the cow ran across the world. I think she eventually ended up in Egypt or something, where Zeus turns her back into her true form just in time for her to deliver their son. Wait, was she a pregnant cow? I think she was a pregnant cow. Whoa. Being chased by a fly. That's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel really bad for her. Yeah, me too. I don't I don't like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't think it's Europa. I don't know. I'm stuck on, like, the nymph princess. Mm-hmm. I feel... I want to say it's Callisto, and I know we were just talking about her... Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's a princess name. Okay. It is not Callista. No! I will, I will now tell you that this moon is the most volcanically active moon in the solar system. Io? It's Io! It's Io! Io the white cow. I knew that about Io. I forgot about that. <laughs> Io the white cow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I knew. I figured that you would know it once I told you the superlative, which is why I wanted to leave it until after your fair, first guess. Fair. Fair. Mm-hmm. Ooh, why... Did, did Were they, like, randomly assigning names to the moons, or did they pick Io for the volcanic moon for a reason? I mean, Galileo named them, I think, and so he yeah. wouldn't have known about the volcanic activity. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so I think they were just Fair. like, Io, this is one of the uh, more popular stories mm-hmm. about Zeus's conquests or, or trysts, and so um, they were probably just pulling from the, the more popular ones. Fair. Mm-hmm. Good job, Corinne. Thank you. Okay, that's number one. This is number two. This young Trojan prince was carried away to Olympus by Zeus in the form of an eagle and made to be Zeus's special cupbearer. He was rewarded for his service by being turned into the constellation Aquarius. And I'm pretty sure, in, like in my opinion, this dude's a queer icon. Gotta be. Yeah. If he's an Aquarius, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Um, okay. Ganymede? Ganymede? Yeah. Ganymede. Ganymede. Ganymede is also, the superlative is that it is um, the most magnetic moon. Um, this is the only moon in the solar system that we have found with its own magnetic field. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Wow. Jupiter's moons. I mean, I guess when you have that many moons, you're going to have something. One of everything. There's going to be cool stuff happening. There's the going to be for one sure. for life, for an ocean, for volcanoes. <laughs> for life. <Yes. laughs> <One> for life. <laughs> uh, the most alive moon. Um, good job. Good job again. Yay! Yeah, I, I love Ganymede. I remember the first time that I heard this story and I was like, oh, Zeus got down like that. Okay. I mean, I don't love that he just carried him off, <laughs> just like <laughs> scooped him up in his godly eagle claws. But still, lo- I, I, I love when there's gay sex in mythology. It makes me really happy. There should be. And there should be more there in is. our modern day storytelling. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> we can all take a lesson from the story of Ganymede. 
And it's not even a, like it, they didn't make a big deal out of it. It was just like, oh yeah, like of course he's he's pretty. I'm gonna right. Well, I'm gonna fuck I, it him. hadn't like been like decided as it's a moral failure. Mm-hmm. They had very different views. Yeah, on back then. Number three. This mortal princess was known for her beauty, so Zeus decided to disguise himself as yet another white cow and snatch her away. So he, he like, she was, I guess, lounging with her attendants or whatever, and Zeus, in the form of a white cow, just walks up to her and lays down, kind of, like, enticing her to get on his back. And when she does, he carries her across an ocean to Crete, um, where he then turns back into his human form, and she's like, oh my god, my lord, Zeus, um, and then and then they fuck, and they, they produce three sons together, and then Zeus returns to Mount Olympus, and this mortal princess uh, marries the king of Crete. He, like, raises Zeus's kids as his own, uh, and one of those kids is King Minos, I'll say that. I'm trying to figure out what I can say without giving away her name. Mm-hmm. Um, so her grandson is the Minotaur, pretty much, is what I'm is what I'm trying to say. Hmm. I think this is Europa. It's Europa. Yay! Wow. I when I was um, a few years ago, before pre-COVID, I was nannying in New York, and the kid I nannied was obsessed with mythology. Um, and then this is, I guess, the most the most organic lifelike moon you know this is the moon that we think might have life under its icy surface in the the swirl of organic materials that exists in that liquid water ocean um number four i mean you're you know the answer so whatever but, I want to hear but, the story. but now you get to hear the story this princess eschewed the palace lifestyle and hunted with artemis as one of her companions and because she was one of uh, artemis's huntresses she was sworn to uphold her virginity and that that wording is interesting because there's a mm-hmm. difference in in olden times between uh, a vow of virginity versus a vow of chastity versus a vow of celibacy right um so i think back then if you if you swore to be a virgin you couldn't get married and you couldn't have kids but i i think you could still have sex okay but interesting but maybe not like like those lines are blurry blurry sure um but she still has this vow uh where she definitely is not allowed to get married or be pregnant of course zeus takes a liking to her and seduces her um and he's Zeus so the union results in a child and one day while she's bathing with Artemis and the other huntresses it is revealed that she is with child um so she is turned into a bear uh some stories say that Hera turned her into a bear for sleeping with Zeus others say that Artemis turned her into a bear for breaking her virginity vow mm-hmm. um but either way she was turned into a bear and she was hunted, hunted? by the very huntresses that she worked with oh. and for. She was killed. Her no. baby was killed. Um, but in classic Greek fashion, she was immortalized as the constellation Ursa Major. One of the best ones. One of the best ones. Who's that, Corinne? That was Callisto. That's Callisto. Well, yeah, she's it mean. She's got, she's pissed. She's been through some shit. Yeah. This Callisto doesn't really have a superlative, and you might remember Callisto's claim to fame is that a lot of people call it the ugly duckling moon. Aww. Because <laughs> it, do- 
doesn't have of the Galilean moons. It doesn't really have other strong features. It kind of just looks like a like a chunk of rock. And it so, looks a lot um, like our moon. Yeah, and we don't call our moon an ugly duckling. No. So we're just we're just even in death. Callisto is is getting the short end of the stick. <laughs> but you did it. You got you got Yay! them all, all four. Congratulations. Thank you. You're I'm welcome. thrilled. Actually, what was the superlative for Europa? Maybe I missed it. Oh, it's just like the maybe the I'll say the wettest moon. The wettest moon, fair. Mm-hmm. Cuz it has that liquid water ocean, we think. Underneath. We think. We'll find out. We're pretty sure. We'll find <laughs> out. The Europa Cl- Clipper mission will will figure it out in the next decade or so. Maybe we'll still be podcasting then. And Maybe. We'll, re- we'll report the breaking news. On that. <laughs> it would be episode 500. 5 million. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Look, I'm, I'm here. I'm here for it. If people want to listen to 500 episodes of Pale Blue Pod, more power to them yeah. and to us. And to us. Well, that was so fun. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, I think after all of that, I definitely need to rub some Auntie Anne's pretzels. Yeah, I'm going to need to dip them in something and <laughs> walk around. Walk around just to get our steps in. Yeah, um, exactly. But no matter what your mall food of choice is, remember, you are space. Pale Blue Pod was created by Moya McTeer and Corinne Caputo with help from the Multitude Productions team. Our theme music is by Evan Johnston and our cover art is by Shay McMullen. Our audio editing is handled by the incomparable Misha Stanton. Stay in touch with us and the universe by following at Pale Blue Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or check out our website, palebluepod.com. We're a member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like Pale Blue Pod, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. If you want to support Pale Blue Pod financially, join our community over at patreon.com slash palebluepod. For just about $1 per episode, you get a shout out on one of our shows and access to director's commentary for each episode. The very best way, though, to help Pale Blue Pod grow is to share it with your friends. So send this episode, this link, to one person who you think will like it, and we will appreciate you for forever. Thanks for listening to Pale Blue Pod. You'll hear us again next week. Bye. Bye.